God is transcendent. He is over and above all creation. God is holy. He is set apart because of his righteousness and the perfection of his character. Through the entire Old Testament, in the tabernacle and in the temple, there was always a symbolic and actual barrier, a curtain separating God from his people. In some real ways, God was beyond knowing. Now, a superficial glance at God might allow us to easily envision our God as distant, as removed from us, as separated from us. And yet, God always wanted his people to know him. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. He gave his people the tabernacle and the temple, places where his very presence dwelled. He gave his people the law, revealing his character and what a relationship with him looks like. He sent his prophets to his people, calling them back to relationship with himself. He caused scriptures to be recorded and to be preserved so that we could continue to have a chance to know him. He has invited us to know him every step along the way. But this Advent, we specifically recognize that it's in Jesus that we get the clearest picture of our God. We don't have to infer his character from the law. We don't have to put together the puzzle pieces to build a composite picture of his nature from the various, his various actions across history. We don't have to speculate about what God might be like because Jesus is God himself. God in human form, God came down. If we want to know what God is like, we just have to look at Jesus. Colossians 1 says it this way. The Son is the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus was God himself in human form, come to earth, revealing the heart, the character, and the purposes of God himself. You want to know God? Look at Jesus. Yet we go one step further still. We don't stop we don't have to stop once we merely have observed Jesus to see what God is like. We need to realize why God came down in the first week, in the first place. Last week, we saw that God came down because we still matter to him. This week, we come face to face, literally face to face with a God who wants us to know him. He's not a God who is distant, remote, or inaccessible. God sent Jesus to demonstrate that he can be both known, sure, that he can be both known, but sure, but more than that, a God who wants to know us. This morning's story comes out of John 13 and 14, and it's John's account of the Last Supper. Now, it's unusual, perhaps, to talk about the Last Supper as we celebrate Advent. It's not common or even expected to look at a time of Jesus' life that was so close to his death during a time that we were celebrating his birth. But so many important things happened during the Last Supper. The disciples find and prepare an upper room, just as Jesus has told them to do. Jesus washes the disciples' feet, even against Peter's objections. Jesus is revealed to be the one who will betray Jesus, and he runs off into the night. Jesus gives them a new command to love one another. Then after all of this, he shares his most devastating news. He's going away. Jesus understood that his arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection were imminent. But before all this took place, he had one last chance to talk intimately to his closest disciples. It was 
At this time that he told them, as clearly as he ever did, that he was going to leave them. He was going away, and where he was going, they could not come. The disciples were wrecked by the news. Our story this morning comes as Jesus tries to confront his disciples that, that evening, mere hours before his arrest and mere hours before the climax of God's redemptive plan to save the world. But if we restrain ourselves from jumping ahead to his arrest, to his crucifixion, to our redemption, we'll find that we discover something beautiful and important and necessary if we just try to put ourselves inside the heads and the hearts of those disciples. Their Messiah was going away, and they didn't know what to make of it. Especially Philip. Philip, the disciple, shows up a few places in Scripture. In the first chapter of John, we see he has a grasp of the Old Testament messianic expectation. He says, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. To which Nathaniel replied, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Philip's response sets the trajectory for the rest of his life with Jesus. Come and see. Philip probably had the best sense of how Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one from God, revealing the Father. And even he didn't have it all figured out. This morning, we invite you to engage your imagination, to put yourself in Philip's place as Jesus and his disciples share the Last Supper together. We invite you to come and see what God wants us to understand about the whole reason that Jesus came. God came down because he wants us to know him. Our scripture reading this morning is from John 14, verses 1 through 9. Hear these words of comfort from Jesus and pay attention to Philip as we explore once again why Jesus came down at Christmas. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I were going to, but would I have told you I, that I was going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, will, I will come back and take you to be with me that you will also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how, do, how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Does he hear himself? How can our hearts not be troubled? Judas just left to betray him. Philip was trying hard to accept Jesus' words, but so much was happening and so quickly. He had thought tonight was going to be magical. Just Jesus and his closest disciples celebrating the Passover together in this upper room. There were always so many people around Jesus. And Philip understood that this was part of following him. But every once in a while, he just, he just longed for some quiet time, some time set apart away from the crowds who clamored to hear Jesus teach, away from the sick and the infirm who begged for Jesus to heal them, and perhaps especially away from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, 
whose constant antagonism wore them down. And if he was being honest, it kind of made him afraid. This was supposed to be that night. He had delighted when Jesus had instructed them to come and find this room to celebrate the Passover together. Just, just them, just Jesus and his disciples together. The room had been bigger than he had expected. The house was in the old city. It wasn't some rough-hewn shack like they'd so often seen throughout Galilee. This was a stone building. The upper floor featured a vaulted roof supported by columns and pillars. It was actually rather regal. A few of the disciples had gone ahead to find the place and to get everything prepared. So it was all ready when Jesus, Philip, and the remaining disciples arrived. The stone walls, the huge vaulted roof, the pillars, these things seemed kind of big and cold, open, kind of the opposite of what Philip was hoping for. Sound even just echoed around in the space. It didn't seem at first glance like a great place for a close, intimate dinner together. But when he had seen the table all arranged and the places prepared for them to recline around the table, he thought maybe it would be fine after all. And when evening fell, and when the darkness oozed in through the open windows, the only lamps lit in the room were those illuminating the table where the meal took place. And Philip had taken his place among the disciples and colored by the warm glow of the flickering flames. The face of each disciple was visible while everything beyond them disappeared into the darkness. The space was intimate after all. They'd started out relaxed. Philip knew he wasn't the only one who just wanted some time away with Jesus by themselves, but it wasn't long before Jesus started changing the script for the evening. This would be no ordinary meal. It started when Jesus had gotten up from the meal, removed his outer robe, and he wrapped it around his waist. And he'd poured water in a basin and begun to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example, Jesus had explained. But then Jesus had shocked them all. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Every one of them had been appalled and at a loss, angry even at the suggestion that such a thing might be true. Everyone, Philip supposed, except maybe Judas. Jesus identified Judas as the one who would betray him. Maybe it had to just be a misunderstanding. Maybe Judas was just going out to buy supplies or maybe he was going to give something to the poor. Judas wouldn't betray Jesus, would he? Judas had been with them from the very beginning. He'd walked and talked with Jesus for these last three years. He'd, he'd seen Jesus teach the crowds. He had witnessed Jesus' mighty acts of power and healing. He'd been there even when Jesus had raised the dead. How could Judas betray Jesus? How could he betray them all? Philip thought back to that time three years ago. Three years that felt like an eternity. And at the same time that felt like just the blink of an eye. Three years ago when Jesus had called him to follow. And he'd been there when the prophet John, baptizing people in the Jordan River, had seen Jesus and clearly identified him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he had known in that moment that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew what Moses had written in the law. He knew what the prophets had foretold. You know, Andrew and Peter, they'd been fishermen, and that was great. And, you know, Levi was just a tax collector, but Philip had loved to study the law as he was growing up. He had been captivated by a God who gave the law 
to reveal his character and nature. And by a God who sent prophets again and again to call his people back to himself, Philip's idea of the Messiah was founded upon these ideas. His expectations were that the Messiah would come and finally, ultimately, call people back into relationship with their God so they could, well, so they could know God again. And not just knowing God as an idea, not just knowing God through the law or knowing Him through the words of the prophets, but for every person to actually know God, to live with Him and to live for Him. He thought Judas must have had other expectations. Maybe he was hoping for a strong political leader. Maybe he wanted someone to rise up and lead the people, throwing off Roman occupation and rule. Judas had always been pragmatic. That's why he was put in charge of the money people gave to support Jesus and his ministry. He was a man who got things done, but he was also impatient. He saw the world in black and white with no shades of gray, without nuance. If Judas was looking for a strong political revolutionary well, he was obviously disillusioned by now. But Philip had always suspected and had grown increasingly convinced that Jesus was no mere political Messiah, but a relational one. He was increasingly convinced that Jesus had come, as Jesus himself had said, to fulfill the law given by Moses. Jesus had come, as Jesus himself had shown, to bring sinners back into relationship with God. Philip remembered even that night at Simon the Pharisee's house when that sinful woman had wept on Jesus' feet and then anointed them with perfume. Watching Jesus welcome her gesture and declare her sins forgiven had been one of the clearest signs. This was a God who was reclaiming those whom he loved. God wants us to know him, and Jesus was the key to it all, at least until Judas had betrayed him? At least until Judas betrayed them all? Now who knew what was going to happen? Don't let your hearts be troubled? Seriously, Jesus, how can you expect us to be comforted after Judas has gone out into the night? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Does he hear himself? How can our hearts not be troubled? You've just told us that you're going away. You're leaving us. This night was not going the way Philip had hoped. The intimacy and the joy that he had anticipated was shattered when Judas left. But now this? My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Philip's heart recoiled from this whole idea. All he had wanted was some time together with Jesus away from the crowds. And now Jesus was saying that he was going away altogether? This Passover was terrible. Philip jumped up from the table and just began pacing around the room. His mind was racing. How could Jesus be going away? How could he be going somewhere they couldn't follow? The entire group of disciples had erupted into questions and denials, rejecting Jesus' words, rejecting the whole idea of Jesus going away. Philip himself was too shocked to speak, too overwhelmed to react. His mind was, was full, full of the memories of Jesus, of all that Philip had witnessed as he followed him for these last three years. In the background, somewhere he was aware that Peter was arguing with Jesus. Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. But Jesus had put Peter in his place. Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. 
But that conversation barely registered for Philip. Jesus was going away. It, it was all going to end. How, how could Jesus say that? How could Jesus do that to them? It couldn't end. He was just getting started. It had only been three years. His mind flashed back to those years and all he had seen and done with Jesus, this Messiah, his Messiah, who was going to reclaim all those whom God loved as his own. I mean, he remembered Jesus teaching the crowds on the hillsides, sometimes inspiring them, but often confusing them. And he remembered the way Jesus would pull his disciples aside afterwards to explain the parables only to them. He loved being in Jesus' inner circle. He remembered the miracles, like the time when Jesus had asked him where to get food to feed 5,000 people who'd come to hear him teach. And he remembered stammering some answer about how it would take more than half a year's wages to feed the whole crowd. And how Jesus used five loaves and two fish to feed every person there with 12 basketfuls left over. He loved having been part of the miracles Jesus performed. He loved being overwhelmed with wonder when Jesus showed the power of God. And he loved seeing Jesus when he encountered the outcasts, the sinners, the lost, those alienated from God. Because, Philip thought to himself, in those moments, that's when Philip sensed the closeness of God. When Jesus forgave sinners, that's when Philip loved Jesus the most. You know, sometimes when people panic, their thoughts become an uncontrollable mess. At other times, though, panic can bring a clarity of thought and genuine insight. And for Philip, in this heightened state, the initial jumble of his visceral reaction began to distill into unexpected clarity. Things started to come together for him. He loved being with Jesus because when he was with Jesus, he felt like he was close to the living God. And, I mean, in that moment, Philip just stopped walking, stopped dead in his tracks as he considered it. He looked over at Jesus, who was still arguing with Peter. What had Philip been witnessing all these years, if not seeing God's own hand at work? What had Philip been seeing, if not God's purposes enacted by Jesus, God's power on display through Jesus, God's own heart reflected in Jesus. If Jesus was the Messiah, a prophet calling God's people back to God himself, then Jesus can't leave. His job wasn't finished yet. He hadn't reclaimed everyone yet. He hadn't revealed the Father yet, right? Moses had been a prophet. Philip's mind just kept racing. And, and Moses got to see God's glory. He asked to see God's glory and God revealed himself to Moses, passing by and allowing Moses to see his presence from behind. And Elijah, he'd been a prophet, Philip recalled. And when he had been exhausted and afraid, well, he had seen the earthquake. He had felt the wind. He'd seen the fire. And then he had experienced God's presence. God had revealed himself through these prophets is that what Jesus has been doing? He's, he's been trying to reveal the Father through his teaching, through his healing, through his miracles, even through this meal tonight. So in the chaos and the confusion of the conversation, with Moses and Elijah fresh on his mind, Philip suddenly blurted out, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Finish your task, 
Jesus. Don't leave us now before you've done what you came to do. Don't leave us wondering if you were really from God. Don't leave us now before you've allowed us to see God's own glory. Show us the Father. That will be enough. The whole room fell silent at Philip's outburst. All eyes were on Philip, and he could see that he had just put into words what they all longed for. They all longed for Jesus to reveal the Father clearly, unequivocally, without any parables and without any confusion. If Jesus was the Messiah who had come to call God's people back to himself, then they were here. They were ready. Just just show us. Just show us the Father. Jesus turned to Philip with such tenderness, and then he blew Philip's mind. In the, sent- in the silence following Philip's outburst, it was as if even the stone support columns holding up the roof were straining to listen in, as if the stones in the walls were about to cry out. The air itself leaned in to hear Jesus' words. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Don't let your hearts be troubled. How can our hearts not be troubled? You just claimed that if we've seen you, we've seen the Father. And that is troubling. No prophet has ever said that. No rabbi has ever claimed that. No one ever in all of Israel's history has ever even hinted at such a thing. Who are you, Jesus? Jesus had continued, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Philip had been drawn back towards Jesus, returning to his place at the table, wearing an expression that began with just incredulity, but one that was slowly changing to thoughtfulness. The evidence of the works themselves. Because Moses had written that another would come, a, a prophet like him, and that we should listen to him. Jesus is this prophet like Moses, he was sure, but it was dawning on Philip that Jesus was claiming something far greater than Moses ever was. Moses gave the law, but he had heard Jesus' teaching, interpreting that law, turning their understanding of that law on its head. In fact, Jesus had been doing, he'd been restoring the law to the way God intended it to be understood, as if he were God himself, adjusting our understanding of the law. Jesus was greater than Moses. And Elijah had been a prophet, the one who was to come before the Messiah. Elijah had done incredible miracles and signs and wonders. He'd shown the power of God and his love for humanity, even caring for the widow who'd run out of flour and oil. And here Jesus had come, and on a, on a much greater scale was feeding crowds and having compassion on the poor and the outcast. Jesus was clearly greater than Elijah. But, but what if, Philip could hear the conversation continuing around him, but he was lost deep in thought. What what if? I mean, could it be possible, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, if we've seen Jesus, 
we've seen the Father. He thought about all those times Jesus had pronounced the forgiveness of sins over the last three years and how every time he had, the religious leaders had been incensed because only God could forgive sins. But Jesus forgave sins. Could it be possible? And he thought about those things Jesus had said like, like before Abraham was, I am. And the Pharisees had tried to stone him for blasphemy because of the claim implied in that statement. Yet, Jesus hadn't shied away from it. Could it be? And he thought about all the things he'd seen Jesus do. The works themselves. He had healed the sick. Only God can heal. He'd calmed the storm and walked on the waves. Only God commands nature. And he'd raised the dead. Only God can raise the dead. And he did these things not... Not by praying that the Father would do them, but by simply commanding that they should be. He told the lame man, get up, take up your mat, go home. He gave orders to the sea, peace, be still. And he commanded the dead man, Lazarus, come forth. Don't you know me, Philip? Jesus' question still echoed around in Philip's mind. Jesus is the Father? This is no metaphor. This is no parable. We've left figurative language behind. He's claiming to be God on earth, which Philip realized is entirely consistent with everything his disciples have heard and witnessed throughout Jesus' ministry. Would God really come down like this? And what would that mean? Why would he do that? And Philip had been right by his side, able to see him and touch him and to walk with him and to laugh with him and to marvel at him and to be in awe of him. Why would God come down like this except that he wants us to know him? To actually know our God the way we can know a friend. If what Jesus was saying was true, then God has come down and is revealing himself through Jesus. God is not so distant or remote. He is not so holy that He is inaccessible. And if what Jesus was saying is true, then God was right here in this room. At this, Philip was both awed and terrified. But if God has come down, there must be something about what Jesus has accomplished. Or, or maybe what Jesus is about to accomplish that will change the way we relate to God, that will allow us to be in God's presence, that will allow us to know, the, know our God in a whole new way, that we, by knowing Jesus, we can know the Father. <laughs> Philip had longed for some quiet time alone with Jesus, but he had received far more than he bargained for. In that upper room, Philip could find no other conclusion than taking Jesus at his word. They were gathered together, sharing a meal with Jesus, their Lord and their God, right there in the room with them. God can be known. God came down because he wants us to know him. But is such a thing even possible? Could this be true? 